Good morning, St James, and welcome to our Bible readings now sermon uh, for this morning. Our first Bible reading comes from the book of Acts, chapter 9 and verses 1 to 6. And I'm going to read it from the New Living Translation. Meanwhile, Saul was uttering a threat with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest. He requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way he found there. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. As he was approaching Damascus on this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our second reading is from the Gospel of John, uh, chapter 21, and it's verses 1 to 19. Later, Jesus appeared again to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. This is how it happened. Several of the disciples were there, Simon, Peter, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee and two other disciples. Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. We'll come too, they all said, so they went out to the boat, but they caught nothing all night. At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. He called out, fellows, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. Then he said, throw out your net on the right-hand side of the boat and you'll get some. So they did, and they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. Then the disciple Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard it was the Lord, he put on his tunic, for he'd stripped for work, jumped into the water and headed to shore. The others stayed with the boat and pulled the loaded net to the shore. They were only about a hundred yards from shore. When they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them, fish cooking over a charcoal fire and some bread. Bring some of the fish you've just caught, Jesus said. So Simon Peter went aboard and dragged the net to shore. There were 153 large fish, and yet the net hadn't torn. Now come and have some breakfast, Jesus said. None of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Then Jesus served them the bread and the fish. This was the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples since he had been raised from the dead. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied, you know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. A third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said, then feed my sheep. I tell you the truth, when you were young, you were able to do as you liked. You dressed yourself and went wherever you wanted to go. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and others will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. Jesus said this to let him know by what kind of death he would glorify God. 
then Jesus told him, follow me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray as we listen to what God's Spirit is saying to us today. Father God, thank you so much for your word to us. And we invite you to fill us again with your Holy Spirit. We might hear your voice speaking to our hearts. Amen. Okay, so I want to talk to you this morning about justice. Uh, now, justice, uh, as seen in the statue outside the Old Bailey, the court in London, is seen as being uh, a woman, blind, with a sword in one hand and scales in the other. Uh, and the scales report the scales show fairness, the, the blindfold that uh, it's impartial. Just doesn't look at different people to decide, oh, okay, fine, we'll, we'll let you through. It's blind, and it, everything is weighed on these scales. Uh, and I was really struck by that as I looked at these, um, these passages, because, well, ever since I was little, it's been really important to me that things should be fair. I was a younger sibling. It always felt to me that I, life wasn't fair. My brother was bigger than me. Uh, he got more than I did. He did more exciting things than I did. Uh, just inherently, life was not fair. Um, but actually, that's, that stayed with me. And I think it's, it's, it's something in a lot of us, um, particularly where, where people upset us. So I'll give you an example. Um, if someone bumps into us um, at the station by a bus stop, you you look at them, you, you look at them, you think, well, what what are you doing? And it's kind of like that person has offended us. That they've kind of they've they've done something wrong that we that we feel in our, in ourselves, and you know, showing your body expression, showing your your face. And if the person then turns around and goes, I'm so sorry, I'm in a rush, I didn't see you. Uh, I I'm so sorry. Do excuse me. You know, yeah, yeah, fair enough, that's fine. Off you go, have a good day, don't worry. But if the person bumps into you and then ju and just walks off and doesn't say a thing, or if they bump into you and then turn around and say, look where you're going, you kind of think, that's how dare you. You bumped into me. This was your fault. You, you, have, the, you, you have the nerve. To tell me it's my fault, how dare you? And we, we walk on with this, this sense of grievance, this sense that, that these scales of justice have been tipped against us, that someone has offended us, and that's not okay. Um, I'll give you another example. Uh, as I'm driving along, um, often you, know, you find yourself in, in traffic and you're going along a road and you're kind of like, oh, this is taking forever. Um, and you might find a car trying to come out ahead of you. Um, to get in front of you in the line of traffic. Now, uh, if someone comes out and they kind of cut in front of you, you kind of go, that's my space, and you're pushing in front. If that person makes eye contact with you, oh, sorry, sorry, is that okay? Thank you, thank you, can I just go? That, I tend to like, yeah, that's fine, I'm feeling generous, I'm a kind person. Yeah, no, no, through you go, that's fine. Um, if the person just pushes in front in their car um, and doesn't doesn't say a word to me, doesn't look, doesn't it doesn't flash their hazard lights to say thank you, doesn't recognise that they've taken my place 
in the line of cars, um, I will be very grumpy. It's like they have they have grieved me. They have they have offended me, and they haven't even recognised it. Um, and I will, uh, in all honesty, I will get grumpy about it, and I will chant it to myself. <laughs> Uh, well, for a few seconds, a few minutes, depending on what else is happening in my day. But I'll, I'll feel the grievance. Now, we have ways in our country uh, of, of balancing the scales ourselves. So uh, if someone bumps into my car, well, that's we know that the, the rules are they pay for the damage. We exchange insurers' details. Um, they pay for it. My car gets fixed. Everything is is balanced up again. Um, our crime and criminal justice system is designed on the basis that if someone has offended, um, they are punished as a way of kind of bringing the scales back into balance. That that every action has a consequence. That people aren't allowed to get away with doing something wrong. Now that's that's fine as as far as it goes. The difficulty is that I have these internal scales that weigh up what people are doing against me or to me um, and whether they've apologised or made up whether how those scales sit and that will affect my relationship with other people. If I then translate that onto God, then that's tricky because I offend God, on a daily basis, I'm I'm often aware of something. I think, oh, I shouldn't have done that. Oh, why? Why have I done that? That's oh, and you think, God, oh, look at those scales. God, I've let you down. God, I've I've done what I shouldn't have done, and ah, oh, I'm God. I'm sorry. Uh, God, I, I apologise. I ask forgiveness. Can can you bring us back into a state of balance, a state of, of being okay. And um, in, in fact, you know, as I started thinking about these passages, my early Christian life was focused on this sense of, of being out of balance with God. Um, I wanted to live a, a Christian life, I wanted to live a good life, and I, I kept letting God down. I, I kept doing things that I shouldn't do, I kept on um, not doing things I should do. Um, you know, I knew that I should be sharing my faith with other people, and I found that really hard. Um, and I, I used to, it used to really bother me that when I talked to my friends about my faith, it, nothing happened. Um, they would often patronise me and go, "Oh yes, thank you. That is very nice for you, Steve." And that'd be it. And I think, oh, I'm meant to be helping people become Christian, and no one's becoming Christian. Lord, I'm, I'm so sorry. And um, my prayer life, uh, when I was 16, 17, 18, uh, and into my 20s, was often largely based on, oh, Lord, I'm so sorry. Lord, please forgive me. I know, I, I know I've done these things before, and, and I, 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 probably do, I will try really hard not to do them again. I'm, and I would, I would pray to try and, bring my scales back into balance. I would I would repent uh, and be overt in my repentance, in my sorriness, uh, to try and make things right with God. 
And so I'm really struck by our pastor today. Um, you know, I struggled that people weren't becoming Christian that I spoke to, um, or that I, you know, as a 17-year-old, I had too much to drink when I was out with my friends. Let's look at Saul. Saul, in our Acts passage, uh, is uttering threats with every breath and is eager to kill the Lord's followers. Uh, he's asked letters uh, from the synagogues in Damascus, asking their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way, bringing their men and women back to Jerusalem in chains. So I worried about how much I drink, but whether or not I'm being effective in evangelism. Saul was killing Christians. Uh, we know that he held the coats of the people stoning Stephen, the first martyr, um, and he's looking to arrest anyone who is following Jesus. This, this is not someone who is um, friends with Jesus, with Jesus' followers. And in our story, he's going to Damascus to arrest more followers of Jesus. And the light comes and he's blinded, he's dazzled. And the voice comes out saying, Saul, why are you persecuting? And it's like, and Saul's like, I go, who are you, Lord? Because I'm Jesus. I'm the one you're persecuting. Now get up and go to the city. You'll be told what to do. Now, this is the thing. Um, the voice says, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Saul simply says, who are you? He doesn't say, sorry. He doesn't say, forgive me. He doesn't say, oh, I see the error of my ways. He says, who are you? And Jesus doesn't say, well, I'm Jesus. I'm really ticked off with you. You've, oh, you've caused me no end of bother. You've hurt my friend. This is outrageous. You, you and we're going to have a stern talking to. Jesus says, get up. Go to the city. You'll be told what to do. End of story. And you know, if you read on in Acts, uh, Saul goes into the city and he's blind, but he, he's given a place to stay and he prays. And as he prays, he's given a vision of Ananias coming and Ananias is sent to, to pray for him. And his eyesight is healed and off he goes. He serves Jesus. He does what Jesus asked him to do. There is no great repentance. There is no, oh, Lord, I'm so sorry. There's no penance. There's nothing. He's not punished. Unless you count the, the blindness that stops him from going and arresting other people and that makes him stop and sit and pray. Jesus simply takes these scales where Saul is hurting Jesus and those Jesus loves. And Jesus goes, get up. Get up, you'll be told what to do. And Saul does. You take our gospel reading and you've got uh, Simon Peter and the disciples. Jesus is dead. As far as they're concerned, he told them he was going to die. He told them this was going to happen. It's happened. And they've gone, what should we do? What can we do? I still know how to fish. I'm going fishing. And so Simon Peter 
goes fishing, doesn't decide to go, you know what, we'll come too. And that's it. None of this waiting for Jesus. Nothing is waiting uh, for Jesus' promised resurrection. They're off, back in a boat, and they're out fishing. And they spend a, a really dull, frustrating night catching nothing. And the next day they're called to from the shore. And they're asked what they could catch. And they're given the instructions, though they're not on the other side. Suddenly there's fish everywhere. And, they, and at that point, uh, John, who's called the, the disciple Jesus, loves it. It's Jesus. And Simon Peter is off the boat and he's, go, he's swimming to shore. He's getting to Jesus as fast as he possibly can. Now, if you are Simon Peter, one of your last, your last conversation with Jesus, pretty much, is Jesus saying, before the cock crows, you will deny me three times. You're going to tell other people you don't even know me. And he's like, no, I will die for you. And then Jesus is arrested. Peter goes to the courtyard and people say, oh, you're a Galilean. You've got that, that accent. You're one of Jesus' followers, aren't you? And three times Peter goes, no, 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 not me. Oh, no, I don't know the man. No, no, nothing to do with me. And he hears the cock crow. And he's, he sees Jesus looking at him as he's being led elsewhere on his way to the cross. And Peter is gutted. He has let Jesus down. And Jesus is taken to the cross and Peter can't do anything. And Jesus is killed and Peter can't do anything. And now Peter's gone off fishing. Peter's given up on uh, whatever Jesus was doing. He's just going back to what he did before. The scales are not balanced. Peter has offended Jesus. He has hurt Jesus. He has denied Jesus. And Jesus comes and says, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus goes, great, feed my sheep, follow me. And just like that, the scales are back in balance. Peter doesn't have to grovel, Peter doesn't have to uh, make it up to Jesus, doesn't have to um, earn his way back into Jesus' good books. He's not given the cold shoulder for a bit and then he's allowed slowly to come back into the outer circle of disciples. He is reinstated like that. Because Jesus doesn't do scales. The balance is always against us. And so Jesus died to take any penalty, to take any shame, to take any guilt, so that things can just be brought back into balance. Jesus' concern in these stories is not how sorry are you, it's not even um, how you're going to make it up to me. It's just, come on, we've got work to do, let's go. Jesus calls us not to penance, but to partnership. We're called to, to work with Jesus. And there's so much value in that. It's not like we are, we're just children who need to be, 
you know, we, we hurt ourselves and we need looked after, we need a plaster on our elbow, uh, we need feeding and then sort of sent out to play. It's like Jesus calls us his friends because we know what he's about. It's like, right, you don't need Molly Coddled. Okay, you're sorry, great, let's get on with what we need to do. Now, whenever I preach, you know I preach to myself as a much to as a as I as much as I do to anyone else, and this is something that I find difficult. Uh, when I let Jesus down, I avoid praying. I find it hard to pray. Find it hard to read my Bible because it's like, oh Jesus, I've let you down again. Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm not, Lord. I'm not good enough. I'm not. I'm not. I wish I don't do enough for you. I don't. And Jesus, like, no, you don't. Steve, you're human. You're fail. You're frail. You're fallible. Of course you are. You're human, and that's fine. Look, I died for you. I've taken your sin, I've taken your shame, I've taken your guilt. Now please, stop beating yourself up. We've got work to do. And there's value that is that amazing that not only does Jesus love us, but Jesus has got things for us to do. Jesus trusts us. Jesus wants us to do things with him. He wants us to pray for other people so we can see what he's doing. Jesus could heal the world like this. Jesus could appear in front of the world. Jesus has appeared to people in dreams and visions. Uh, and people have testimonies of that, which is amazing. He could do that for every person on the planet. Instead, he works with us so that we get to see him at work. We get to learn more about him because of what he does, the impact he has, and how he changes people's lives. We have such an opportunity. We've been invited into such an amazing ministry, and yet we waste so much time beating ourselves up for not being good enough, for not being able to do it, not being worthy. That is such, such a waste of time. Saul was killing Christians. And Jesus met him and said, Saul, why are you doing this? Get up. Go into the city. You'll be told what to do. Peter pretended he didn't know Jesus. He deserted Jesus in Jesus' greatest time of need. And Jesus says, do you love me? Right. Then get on with it. Follow me and do this job with me. So my question for all of us at St James this morning is, where do we feel our scales are? Because if they feel out of whack, if we feel like we're not good enough for Jesus, there is nothing we can do to change that. We can't beat ourselves up enough. We can't earn any grace with God. We can't change our status with God. Not one jot. But Jesus has. We are saved by faith. By believing that Jesus loves, that he has saved, he has brought us back into balance, back into right relationship with our Father in heaven. So we need to believe it and we need to live that faith that we are accepted, that we are loved, that we have, we have been made right with God. Then having accepted that, we need to get on with it. We need to get on with sharing uh, who Jesus is, that Jesus is alive that Jesus changes lives, 
We need to get on with serving the poor. We need to get on with uh, healing the sick. We need to get on with um, feeding the hungry. This is our ministry. This is what we're called to do. And instead we, we waste time either beating ourselves up or beating each other up. So let's hear it again this morning. The question from Jesus. Do you love him? And if our answer is yes, he simply says, come, follow me. If you're not sure what it means to follow Jesus, that's okay. Come talk to one of us. Come to the vicarage, chat with us. We're happy to help you work through what it means to follow Jesus. Because it is the best thing. It's the best use of your life. It's the most fulfilling thing. To know yourself in relationship with Jesus. Being part of what he is doing. And seeing his kingdom come. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have made us right with you. You have brought our scales into balance. You have made us, oh, made us at peace with God and with each other. As we ask for your help to believe that, to accept that we are forgiven and that we are free from guilt and shame and fear and sin. And having accepted that, help us to follow you. Help us to see what you're doing. Help us to join in with what you are doing we might see your kingdom come in our lives and through us and the lives of those around us. Lord Jesus, we ask this in your precious and powerful name. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, have a lovely day and a fantastic